morning, everyone. That's the question we're asking today is, is who is Jesus? What made him unique? Uh, welcome again to Easter service here at Orange Crest Community Church. We're really happy that all of you decided to come and, and be with us for this morning. Now, what kinds of questions would you ask Jesus if you were given the opportunity to really sit down with him and, and dialogue with him and hear from him directly to answer your questions? What, what kinds of things would you ask? Um, we're a mix of people coming from really different spiritual backgrounds, religious backgrounds, I'm sure. Some of you are likely here, and you're, you're here, you're trying to follow Jesus with your whole heart. And maybe you'd even say that Easter for you is kind of like the spiritual high point holiday. It's, it's 100 times better than the Super Bowl and New Year's. It's, just, it's, the, it's the biggest day that we celebrate the, the foundation of our faith, the resurrection. That might be where you're at this morning. Some of you might be here, and you're a Christ follower, but you might be in a place where you have some questions that create reservations. And so you might be at a point where you're really lacking confidence in, in what you believe. you got a lot of doubts. you got a lot of questions you're asking. Some of you are here because you're, you're actually trying to gain clarity on, on what you ought to believe. And so maybe you're asking questions. You're not yet a Christ follower. You're not sure what you think about him. It could be that you're here to get answers to your questions. Um, could be that you're not even asking any spiritual questions at all, and you're just like, I'm here with my family, or I'm here because I was invited. And, and so uh, also I'm sure there's some people that you would maybe describe yourself as a skeptic. So I'm sure we have some skeptics that are here, and you may not actually be sitting with your arms crossed like this right now, but maybe on the inside your arms are already crossed, and you've, you've already got some thoughts and reservations and some things that you're already thinking. And so wherever you're at this morning, um, I, I'm really glad that you've come to be with us this morning to, uh, to come to Easter and to, to hear a little bit more about who is Jesus and what, what did he do. Um, I, I hit a low point in my life when I needed to really wrestle with these types of questions for myself. I needed to wrestle through the issues of who is Jesus, what, what did he do, what, what are these claims. And, and at that point, um, pat answers about Jesus and about Christianity were not cutting it. And so I, I realized that I could not just draft off the faith of my family forever. I actually needed to own my faith for myself. And some of you might be in that same place where you've been maybe drafting off someone else's faith and you don't really own or embrace this for yourself. And so I hit that point and I really needed to sort through um, some of my own questions and, and, and issues. And, and so in this series, what we're aiming to do is we want to kind of look at some of the um, questions that people ask about Jesus and Christianity. So here's what we're going to do. This week we're going to look at this question. What makes Jesus unique? Now some would say that Jesus is a good or a great moral teacher. Um, and so the question we're going to look at today is, was he more than that? What makes him so unique? Was he more than just a good teacher? Is there more that I should be concerned with? Um, next week we're going to look at this question. Why is Christianity so exclusive? There's, I often hear people say the comment that Christianity or Christians are narrow-minded. And so we're going to look at that issue next week. Then we're going to look at the question about, you know, why should I take the Bible seriously? We're going to look at what Jesus had to say. We're going to try to answer directly from his words to all these questions. And the last one is, why does God allow suffering and evil? This is a big, um, I would say, barrier, major wall for people that would prevent and keep many people from ever deciding to follow Jesus Christ because of the pain in the world that they see. And so I don't know if you have these questions for yourself, but since the first century, people have been wrestling with Jesus' identity all that time. And there's no question that Jesus was an unparalleled teacher. 
He was an amazing teacher. He took morality, when he would teach on morality and relationships and, and ethics and justice, he took those issues and he ratcheted it up to a whole other level in his teaching. Um, his impact on history is unmatched. There's no one like him as far as the impact that he was made. Most of the world divides time by his approximate birth date. You know, a lot of people are following him. I would say many, many people are following him and refuse to quit following him, even under persecution at all levels. There's persecution all around the world right now. In, in, in parts of the world, like even in Africa this past week, there was some persecution of Christians. And why is it that people keep following, even, even though it may cost them their lives? Currently, around one-third of the world's population claims to follow Jesus. That's a lot of people that claim to follow Jesus. 2.1 is 2.1 plus billion people claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a, that's a lot of people. And so since we have the opportunity to really read what Jesus said about himself, we're going to take our questions about him and we're really going to take our questions through the biographies that his followers wrote. God used um, human authors to communicate a message to us uh, about the life of Jesus, about the, the, the growth and expansion of the church. And, and so I want to begin with this question. This is in a listening guide. You'll see this little insert in your, in your bulletin. Here's the question. Who did Jesus say that he was? You know, everyone's got an opinion on Jesus. You probably have an opinion, you know. Well, the big question is, who did Jesus actually say that he was? If you could sit down over coffee and have a dialogue with him, whoa. What the things that he said while he was on earth would shape the, the content of that dialogue that you'd have. The words that he said while he was on earth. And so we're going to look at and highlight some of what he said about himself while he was alive. We're going to be looking in the New Testament. We'll start with in the book of John, chapter, John chapter 5. And so John chapter 5 is, we read about, I'll just give you a little background. We read about a man who had been crippled. He was an invalid for 38 years. Okay. 38 years he was crippled. He wasn't able to get around. He had to have people lift him places to get anywhere. And so he was lying near a pool where people claimed that this pool, this certain pool, had healing powers. And so people believed that when the waters were stirred in this pool, that an angel was stirring the waters and that if, if they got into the water, they could be healed of their sickness, of their infirmities. And so... Every time this would happen, this man was lying next to this pool. Again, he's crippled for 38 years. He's lying next to this pool, and he's hoping to get his opportunity for, for healing. But every time the water gets stirred, someone else beats him into the pool. He's just not able to, to do anything about it. And so this crippled man was beginning to lose hope. Jesus sees this man lying there, learns about his life and his story, and he says, what do you want? The guy says, I want to be healed. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. The man gets up. That's what Jesus said. He's immediately healed of his infirmity. And the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, are watching this thing happen. And they see this man who's been crippled get up. And they scold him for carrying his mat on the Sabbath day. This was the Sabbath. Now for the Jews, the Sabbath is the, is the holy day where you rest and set the day apart for just... Time with God, you're not supposed to work. This is not a work day. This is a rest day. Well, they saw this act of carrying his mat as work. And so they said, you're breaking the Sabbath. Now, 
I read that story and I'm just like, that is so ridiculous. You know, it, it's it's making an issue of, of this, you know, it, it's, what, what's the, the phrase, making a mountain out of a molehill? I think that's the phrase. I say phrases. I, I get them all off all the time. So I try to avoid the cliche phrases, usually mess them up. So, But they're making a big deal out of something. And then when they asked more about who healed you, how, how come you're healed, who did this? They found out Jesus had healed him. Now they're angry at Jesus because Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, which also they said that's healing is a work. And so this is a Sabbath. You're supposed to be resting. So we don't so Jesus broke the Sabbath because he healed on the Sabbath. This man was breaking the Sabbath because he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath. Again, they called that work. And so Jesus responds with this. Again, the question who did Jesus say he was? Let's start looking at some of the comments he makes in John five. First one is verse 17. Jesus says, my father, speaking of God the Father, my father is working until now, and I'm working. This comment enraged the Jews so much that they sought to kill him. Why? Because he called God his father. He, he claimed to have a special relationship, and he was communicating to God in this special, close way. And serious Jews didn't even dare to speak God's name during that time. And so when Jesus called God his father, that enraged the Jews. But more than that, he was, inqu- he was equating his work with God, God's work. And he's making himself here equal to God. And what he's saying is, look, God does good work all the time. 24-7, God is working. He's doing good work on the Sabbath, on the non-Sabbath. He, he is just working. My father is always at work. He never stops working. And then Jesus says, neither do I. Now he's making a big claim here. He's claiming to be equal to God in his work. That's a bold claim that he's making. Now this, again, it got him angry because they're looking at Jesus and he's just this ordinary man. He's just, he's just like you and I. He's, he's ordinary. He just seems pretty normal. He talks normal. He's, he, he sounds like a normal guy he comes from an ordinary town, yet he's making this huge claim. And I want to move ahead a little further in this passage because he keeps answering this question that we're asking. Who did Jesus say that he was? Look at in verse 21. Verse 21, he states this. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, God also, or so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Now here, he's claiming to be equal with God the Father in power. He's saying, look, God can raise the dead. I can raise the dead. He's claiming to be equal with God in power. That's real power. The ability to, to bring people to life. Next, in the, in the very next verse, verse 22, he says this, The Father judges no one, but has given all authority to the Son. Here, he, again, he's, he's saying, look, I'm God. God has given me a place of authority and judgment over all people. I've been exalted, he's saying, to this high place. Again, he's just kind of saying, you, you want to know who I am? What gives me the right to heal? Here's a little bit more about who I am. I work just like God the Father works. I have the power. I have the authority. Verse 23, this gets even more intense. This is like Jesus. <laughs> he ins- in, in a way, he insults many of them right here. He puts them in their place. Look at verse 23. He does this. He says, God's given Jesus the Son the authority that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Now, these are people that would say, yeah, we honor God the Father. We worship God the Father. Then he says this, whoever does not honor the Son 
speaking of himself as the son. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Now Jesus, he was, he was ultimately rejected, despised. He was not esteemed. He was eventually brutally murdered. And here he is saying, you say you honor the father. I'm saying that whoever doesn't honor me, the son, doesn't really honor the father. Again, he's saying, I'm equal to God the Father in honor. Finally, he says this, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He who does not come into, and he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He's saying here that his word is equal to God's word in truth. He makes all these huge claims about who he is. And they just see this human speaking their own language from a nearby town. Another place, even, even he's more direct. Look at John 10, verse 30. Move ahead. He says of himself, in the context is he's teaching on um, God is the good shepherd. And, and I encourage you to read John chapter 10. But he says this, I and the Father are one. It's a statement made in the context of his teaching. But this statement, again, it creates a problem when we want to put Jesus in the category of just a great moral teacher. When he says, I and the Father are one. Because he did more than just teach on ethics and morality and relationships and justice. A significant amount of his teaching was centered around his identity. And so as we study and see what he claimed about himself, he made a bold claim. Now look at what C.S. Lewis wrote. C.S. Lewis wrote the uh, Chronicles of Narnia. You may have read that book or watched some of the movies they did. He wrote another book called Mere Christianity. Look at what he says here. I am trying, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus, which is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing he must not say. He goes on and says this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. He continues on. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Here's another example of what Jesus said, though. There was another point where a paralyzed man was carried by four of his friends to Jesus because Jesus was healing people. These four good friends brought their friend who was paralyzed to Jesus. They were great friends. And then look what happens here. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Can you just imagine? The religious leaders, they responded with, What? What did he just say? Who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sin. Again, these statements, along with all the others, these boost Jesus way above the great moral teacher category into another category. And here's the claim that he makes. This is, in the middle of your list, and God at the top, Jesus claimed to, to be God. He didn't claim to just be a teacher. He made bold claims about the fact that he was divine. 
Now, if someone went around doing miracles and claimed that they were God, you and I, we would start investigating their credentials. One of the first things that I would probably do is I would want to talk with their friends. I would want to talk with their closest friends, their family. And so that's the question we're asking as well. What did Jesus' closest friends say about him? As Jesus and his followers were walking one day, he turns to his followers and he says, who who does everybody think that I am? You know, he's stirring up a frenzy. He's healing people. He's doing amazing things. He's miracles. And what does everybody think about me? Who does the general public say I am? And so people start offering up a variety of conclusions that people had been forming about Jesus. And then he says to them, like, but who do you say that I am? Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? You're my followers. Now Peter speaks up. Peter's one of the closest followers of Jesus. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. The word Christ there is equivalent to the Old Testament word Messiah, which means the anointed one. And so what Peter's saying is, you are the one we've all been waiting for. You're the one that God said would come to rescue us, his people. Jesus is, you know, being proclaimed as the son of God here. And look at what he says. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter acknowledges Jesus' deity. And Jesus, he answered him in this way. He didn't say, no, 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 don't say that about me. I'm just a man. I'm just a man. He, he actually commended it. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That just means son of John. Blessed are you, Simon. Your dad's name is John. You're just a man. And he says this, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You just didn't get this in your family line. No, but my father who is in heaven, God revealed this to him. He's not disagreeing with Peter's statement. He's commending Peter's declaration here. Now, if in my teaching today or on any Sunday, if I say, hey, folks, something really amazing happened to me this week, and uh, I got some new insight here. Matter of fact, I'm God. I had, a, I had an amazing week. I had a vision, and, and I am God incarnate. Now, if I, if I made that bold claim, you could easily dismiss the claim by asking my family and my friends and people who know me, he's definitely not God. <laughs> because I'm just ordinary. I'm a man. You get to know the people that know me, and they'll discredit that really quickly. But in Jesus' case, the people who walked closely with him, they thought, he's more than a man. Which brings up another important question to consider. What, what credentials back up Jesus' claim to be God? When I go to the doctor, you know, I want one with a good... Re- oh, back up. I want to show you these verses. Peter and John. Oh, that's... I guess that's... Here it is. Okay, I guess I'm moving, I'm moving ahead still. Sorry. When I, when I go to the doctor, I would like to know that I'm going to see a doctor who's got a good reputation, who's got good references. If I can get a reference, I would prefer that. Um, with surgeries that I might encounter in my life or could encounter in the future, I want to know that I'm in good hands. I want to know that my, my family's in good hands. And so if I step into their office and I see plaques on the wall, if I see magazine articles about things that they said, I'm like, man, I'm in, I'm in good shape here. We're, we're in good hands. That's what we want to experience with doctors. How much more important it is to investigate Christianity and verify the evidence for his claims. How much more important? Here are the credentials that back up Jesus' claim to be God. Number one, 
He lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life. In John 8, we read how at one point Jesus challenged his enemies with this question. After he's living among them and teaching and doing life, he says, which one of you convicts me of sin? Anyone? The truth is no one had any dirt on him. They didn't have any mistakes. He'd never done anything wrong before them, so he asked them this question. Two of his three closest followers, Peter and John, they knew the Old Testament scriptures from an early age, and they believed that every human being on the earth was guilty of sin. They knew that that was just part of the human condition, is that people are sinful, all of us. But both of these men testified to Jesus' moral perfection. Look at Peter. Peter first states this, He committed no sin, neither was no deceit found in his mouth, speaking of Jesus. He didn't lie. There wasn't a shred of... of, I mean, he he didn't play games. Jesus was... He he was perfect. He did everything right according to God's laws. He didn't cross any of his boundaries. Then John states this, You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. He lived a perfect life. Now think of how often... You and I sin. It's hard to keep track, isn't it? I mean, when was the last time you, you sinned? It, you don't have to think back years, hopefully. Hopefully you don't think that way. <laughs> I mean, generally, I just have to think back sometimes a few hours, sometimes a day. I mean, I sin every day. An attitude, a word. I get cranky and selfish and arrogant. I have all these things. You do too. And, and I, sometimes I sit down at night. And the Lord just brings things to my mind that he's not happy with and that I need to straighten out with him or with, with someone in my life. That's, that's part of being a human is we sin all the time. But Jesus was blameless, lived a perfect life. He was unique in this way. It's one of his credentials. Number two, another piece of his, the evidence towards his deity is he had power over natural forces, sickness, disease, and even death. He had power over all these things. Once he was in a boat traveling with his, with his disciples, the weather kicked up, became so violent that everybody in the boat thought they were all going to die. And so they, they woke up Jesus, who was resting, who was getting some sleep, and he spoke to the wind and the waves, and everything calmed down. Told it all to be quiet, and it did. It obe- the natural forces obeyed Jesus. That's real power. His disciples responded with this. Who then is this? that even wind and sea obey him. That's real power. He turned water into wine. He fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, among other miracles. There are many accounts of Jesus' healing people. There's even one account where one of his close family friends dies, Lazarus. This man dies, and Jesus was grieved. and he, he as When he got the news... And when he saw the reality, he cried. And he went there. He came four days after. Basically, he goes to the tomb. The man Lazarus had been dead for four days. And he said, roll the stone away. And it's, you can imagine the smell of this man who's been dead for four days. And Jesus goes up to the tomb, and he speaks with authority. Lazarus, come out. And the man walked, <laughs> walked out of the grave. After being dead for four days... And he did this in the presence of people who sought him and people who were skeptics. He did this in the presence of people who even 
And even his enemies did not deny the miracle because they were able to see Lazarus alive who had been dead. He had power over all these things. It's amazing. Another key credential that backed up his claim to be God is this, is that he predicted his own death and resurrection. On five different occasions, he said, this is what's going to happen to me. Here's, here's the record of one of those predictions during the height of his popularity. This is from Luke 9. In Luke 9, the verses before this, Peter, Luke records the same declaration where Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. This is what Jesus says immediately after. And he strictly charged and commanded them. He told the disciples to tell no one that he was the Messiah, the son of the living God, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He makes this prediction. He calls himself here the son of man. Some people get hung up and say, aha, see, he's just a man. He calls himself the son of man. This is actually his most favorite self-designation was this, this phrase, the son of man. And actually there's kind of two meanings surrounding this idea of the son of man. Number one is it it has the uh, connection to humanity, okay? Because he came and he was fully man while still being fully God, but he was, you know, fully man, flesh and blood. And so he called himself Son of Man. He looked like a person, he talked like a person, he got tired, he got, you know, he had. But then this, this title or this designation, Son of Man, it refers back, it's in Daniel chapter 7, where there's this. In Daniel 7, you can read about the, the heavenly exalted one who will be called the Son of Man, the exalted one from heaven. And so he's, he's claiming that. He's, humani- he's, he's human. At the same time, he's exalted as a heavenly exalted one. But he makes this claim, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to suffer. These are all the things that happen to him. Be handed over, rejected, and on the, I'll be killed. And then on the third day, I will be raised. The resurrection is an event in history that we can investigate. If it occurred, then it is not only just a, a life changer, but it's an eternity changer for us. It is the foundational event for Christians because sin and death was defeated, the resurrection. It's why one church leader wrote this, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-7. Paul, he wanted one church, this is one church leader to a church, and he, he wanted this church to make sure they understood what their faith was established upon and so he's like let's get things really crystal clear about what your faith is built upon so he writes this now i would remind you brothers of the gospel that's the good news a gospel i preached to you he's like i'm going to tell you the good news i want to remind you of it which you received in which you stand they were standing on it many of you here are standing on these events that we're going to look at and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word i preached to you unless you believed in vain In other words, unless you hold on to these beliefs that I'm going to state in a moment, you're believing in vain. It's a waste of time. Unless you believe this stuff about Jesus, it's a waste of time. So he says, here's the the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. This was foretold in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, which is our Old Testament. This was talked about. This was going to happen. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried. You bury people that are dead. He wasn't sleeping. He was, he was um, crucified by professional executioners who knew when a person was dead and when they weren't dead. <clears throat> they would often speed up the process of death. When they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. 
says he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. Then to the twelve, the other disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. What he's saying is a lot of the people that saw him alive are dead, but there's a whole lot of people that are still alive at this time. And so you can check with them, he's saying to the church in Corinth. Go check. Go find out from the eyewitnesses. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. He lists off all these main eyewitnesses who saw him, talked with him, and could verify that he was in fact alive. And many, many, many skeptics have investigated the resurrection because that's the big hang-up. Did Jesus actually rise from the dead? And when they look into the resurrection and they study what we have about it, they study the historical evidence, many people, as a result, decide to follow Jesus Christ. Um, we've, we've provided a list of, of resources that are on your handout. You'll see these other resources near the bottom. So you could just do your own research. I would encourage you to dig into some of these things to better understand the faith. Also, if you're serious about investigating the resurrection specifically, we have a free resource that's on the back table that is we want to just provide for you free today. It's just called The Case for Easter. It's written by a, a Chicago Tribune. He was the former editor of the Chicago Tribune. He looked into the claims of Jesus Christ. His name is Lee Strobel. And in looking into it, doing all the research, he, his wife committed to her life to Christ, and he thought she was nuts. And he's like, I married this girl because she was on the same page, and now she commits her life to follow Jesus. So he starts looking into it, just like he would with any other story. And as he digs into the historical evidence, he finds this stuff is true. He gives his life to Jesus. So if you're serious about investigating that, we just invite you to pick up that Case for Easter book. Specifically, it's got some real good thought-provoking content, specifically about the resurrection. We began this message with this question. Who, who is Jesus? And so before we wrap up, let's go back to that question. We're going to kind of roll that video again, kind of the end, and just kind of get even more personal. Who is Jesus? That's a big question. That's the big question. What does it even matter? What does it matter to you? Who is Jesus? My answer doesn't matter to you. Only your answer matters to you. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? Again, that's, that's the question we want you to consider. Our hope for this message and for this series that we're going to be walking through is not just to offload a lot of information that has been gathered in the past. We want to really help you take steps towards the living God. If you're already a Christ follower, then my hope is that this message and this morning would really strengthen your resolve to follow Jesus. And that you'd even keep digging deeper into what the scripture says and what Jesus claimed about himself. So that you would know how to dialogue when these kinds of questions come up. Because they do come up here and there. Some people really want to know. And so I I hope this has helped you in in your own resolve and confidence in, in your belief. If you've not yet committed to follow Christ... And I hope today has just been a help to you to see what Jesus actually said about himself. Um, If you're open to it, I I would invite you to pray this prayer this week. This is a prayer just asking God to to really speak to you and confirm who he is. God, I I don't know if you're real or not, but as I look into the Bible, as I learn more about Jesus, will you let me see and know who you really are? You can say that in your own words this week. 
But the idea here is, would you spend some time this week just saying, God, I'm not sure if you're real, but I'm open to exploring that. Just get some time away. Sit by yourself and just ask God, God, would you let me see who you really are? You might be here this morning and and you want to give your life, you you need a new life. And you feel like, I'm here because I need a reboot in my life. And today may be the time where you are deciding that you're done trying to, to lead your own life. You're done being the person who's in charge. And you're really ready to resign as the ruler of your world. You're done. You're, you're, you're resigning as the boss. And you're ready to let God take charge of your life. You don't have to have your whole life figured out before you decide to follow Christ. You just have to be willing to stop going your own way in life. Going my own way in life is what the Bible calls sin, where I just live independent from God. I do life on my own terms. I'm in charge. To be a Christ follower, I have to be willing to stop doing this and admit my way isn't working. It's broken. My life of sin is broken. I have to be willing to turn around and start going God's way and doing life His way. How do I do that? I receive Jesus as my Savior. That's how you do it. You receive Christ Jesus as your Savior. God who came in the flesh and who died in your place. You receive him and his sacrifice that he made on your behalf. And then you yield to him as the Lord, as the boss. Part of the celebration each week and even this morning, certainly this morning, is the fact that God, this reminds us, God has the power to change lives. He has the power to change lives. My life, your life, the resurrection is the proof of that power. And so Jesus, he conquered at the resurrection, conquered death. And he made the sacrifice for our sins that made it possible for us to start over. I want to invite our worship team to come back up to the stage. And if, if everybody here would take out this white connection card, you'll see this in your bulletin. Again, Bruce uh, told you a little bit about this. And if you wouldn't mind fin- finishing filling out this card, it's going to go in the offering basket in just a few moments. There's a few next steps that I want to draw your attention to. The first one is this. The qu- the, look at this. It says, for the first time, I'm deciding to accept Jesus as my Savior and follow him as Lord. If you've never done that before, and you're at the point where you're like, you know, I'm not a Christ follower, and I'm in the process, but I'm not ready to make this decision, then I would say do not, I would say count the cost. Consider, get clarity on this. You might not be at a point where you're ready to to accept Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord. We would love to help you. Um, you could come talk to any one of our staff members. We're not trying to um, coerce you to, to make a decision like this because really this is a major decision to say, I, I'm, I'm ready to yield my life to Jesus. I, I've, I've considered this, and I'm actually at a point where I'm ready to do that. If that's where you're at today, we would love to see you respond to Jesus this morning, become one of his followers, and you can pray this prayer. I'm just going to invite everybody to just bow your head, just as we have silence for a moment, and this is really for those of you who, you would say, I've not yet committed my life to Christ, but I'm ready to do that today. So just pray this prayer along with me in your heart. God, I want to stop going my way in life. I admit that I'm a sinner, and my way is not working broken and I understand that my sin separates me from you and I'm ready to start doing life your way on your terms thank you for coming 
to earth as Jesus. Thank you for living a perfect life than dying the death that I deserve. I believe you rose from the dead. You can give me new life today. And I receive you today as my Savior. And today I'm ready to yield to you as the Lord of my life, the boss of my life. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name.